Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Zion. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts the Restoration offers for today's world. Project Zion is sponsored by the Latter-day Seekers team from Community of Christ. And welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I am your host, Carla Long, and you are listening to the series Percolating on Faith, where we discuss theological matters and pretty much whatever else is rolling around in our brains. Lucky you, listener. (laughs) As always, I'm here with my friends and colleagues, Charmaine and Tony Chevala-Smith. Welcome back, you two. Hi, Carla. Hi, Carla. Good to be here. Today... You know, we're not really going to talk about anything that special. In fact, I don't even know if our gentle, loving listeners have even heard of this guy. Do you guys think they have? <laughs> it's, it's you know, it's a pretty small topic. Not been, not a big topic at all. It's all about Jesus Christ. Yes, today we're going to be discussing Jesus Christ, um, which is not a small topic at all, which is a huge topic. Right, Tony? Right, Charmaine? Absolutely. This is the probably the central topic in Christian theology. In more ways than one, it's the heart of Christianity. So do our listeners, um, can our listeners expect a three-hour podcast today? (laughs) 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 No, I think it's really important that we're talking about Jesus Christ. And, And there's so many different ways that we can talk about Jesus, right? Like there I know that Jesus has been studied like for the last 2000 years or so. Lots of books have been written about him, including, you know, books way back when. But today we're going to be talking about Jesus in in three broad categories. And Tony Charmaine, what are those categories we're going to be talking about when it comes to Jesus today? Well, one of them is Jesus as God with us. And the second one we'll deal with is Jesus as example primarily in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then the other is as Jesus as the bringer of peace and equality. We thought those would be three um, categories that we might not, that might not be the first things that come to people's minds, but that are very, very deep, both scripturally and theologically within Christianity. And, And also, well, these categories only kind of begin to scratch the surface of the the wider field of Christology. One of the reasons we want to deal with them is that, in some respects, all three of these categories uh, are potential answers to the question, why Jesus? Why is Jesus important uh, to the church? I hope this is okay to mention this here. Listeners, if you have questions about Jesus and something that we don't get to in this podcast, we are, we welcome all questions. And maybe this is just the very first of a couple podcasts about Jesus. And especially if there's something that you would like for us to explore. So while you're listening to this podcast, think about some questions you have for Tony and Charmaine, not so much for me, but for Tony and Charmaine. So let's just jump into it. Do you want to jump into that number one category, Jesus as God with us? Like, what is it about God with us? Why is that important? And all yeah, this- sure. We, we're happy to happy to jump in on that one. Um, so the, the 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 title God with us comes specifically from Matthew's Gospel. And Matthew's Gospel starts with 
the Matthew's version of the Nativity, in which a, a text from Isaiah is used as an illustration or prophecy regarding uh, Jesus' identity as Emmanuel, which is Hebrew for God is with us. And interestingly, the gospel, that gospel ends with the risen Jesus telling his disciples, I will be with you. So the, the thrust of that whole gospel is Jesus as the presence of God uh, in the world um, who abides with the disciples even after his, his death. So um, why, is that, why is that important? Well, one could say that all the varied books of the New Testament are written with some kind of conviction that Jesus brings God's presence near in a very distinctive and unique way. And that that presence continues to stay with the church from that point on. Um, I had a, a friend once who referred to Jesus as the human face of God. And I think that's a really important way to think about this, um, because the term God by itself can be filled up with all sorts of meanings. Um, some of them just from cultural baggage, some of them from negative experience. And so... Um, the term God by itself doesn't always necessarily mean anything specific, but Jesus as God with us helps us begin to see what the term God actually can mean. Yeah, and as much as the earliest authors in the New Testament were trying to find words for who Jesus is, um, we see them struggling with with the concept of who is he and what does his presence mean and what does it do? What does his death, his resurrection mean? What does it say about who he is? And all of that early struggling, all of those early um, names and titles that uh, were given to Jesus really, I think, became, you know, uh, the fodder, the, the materials from which the later idea of Trinity Develops and so the idea that that Jesus is an aspect of God can be seen really back to the earliest writings of the New Testament. Um, though they're struggling to figure out how do we how do we talk about this um, coming from most many of the authors coming from a good grounding in the Old Testament and and many of them from the Jewish tradition where there is only one God. Um, so. Talking about who Jesus is um, back then, and then in the, the first centuries of Christianity, was very important um, because who he is, it's important not just because of some need of talking about, about him or about his relationship to God or him being God, but to be able to pass on uh, the truths that we know about who Jesus is with us as well as who Jesus is as God. So it's it's important. So um, another thing to, to say about this is that in the Gospels, you can see that Jesus comes across to his disciples and to the, the people of his time as a giant question mark. And that question mark is summed up with a question, who is this? And even the disciples 
ask that question. There's a wonderful scene in, in Mark, uh, the end of Mark chapter 4, where the disciples and Jesus are in a boat at sea, and a storm, a storm uh, erupts on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is asleep in the stern of the, sh- the boat on a cushion, and the disciples, of course, are, are freaked out by the storm, and they, they, w- they wake him up, and he you know, calms the storm, and the next thing that the disciples say, who is this that both the wind and the sea obey him? And so if you think, if you think about that in relation to their, their understanding of their own Jewish tradition and the Hebrew Bible, uh, water, wind, storm, calming the sea, all of those elements are found in the Hebrew Bible in the creation story and in the Exodus story. And so this is a puzzle. This is a, the, the man who has called them. They know he's a human being. At the same time, he presents them with this sort of definitive uh, claim in his very actions that he is something more than that. And so um, the, the, the God with us theme is, is all through the Gospels, often coming, coming to the reader in the form of question, the question, who is this man who presents us with, with this stark and definitive claim about who he is and what he's connected to. And I think one of the most important things about the whole idea of God with us is um, to keep reminding ourselves that part of Jesus' promise to his first disciples, but what the church, meaning the whole Christian tradition, has believed and held to and lived from and and been vindicated in believing is that Jesus is still with us and that God's desire in Jesus in Christ was to make God's own presence available to us in a much more um, readily accessible way and that that Christ is um, here with us uh, in this time and age in ways that may be a lot harder to understand than his first disciples following around in the countryside. But evidence, uh, testimony, um, long tradition throughout the, the long Christian story is that in a multitude of ways, Christ is present with us. Uh, whether it's help in times of uh, uncertainty and grief, um, sometimes in bringing us peace in the midst of turmoil, in giving us help when we are trying to change behaviors and habits, uh, um, enlightening our mind, reassuring us that we are loved, all of these kinds of um, experiences are evidence of God with us. Christ present with us. I, on that on that experiential note, I, I would say for myself, um, you know, we've Charmaine and I have taught theology for a long time and uh, have the opportunity to travel around Community of Christ worldwide and get to meet people and listen to their experiences and questions and struggles. And you know, we encounter lots of people who for whom God makes perfect sense and Jesus doesn't make sense. I have to say, in in my experience, I understand that, but I'm almost the exact opposite. That is, 
apart from the Jesus story, uh, the idea of God doesn't make sense to me. Um, I, uh, when, when I say personally Jesus is God with us, for me, uh, the, the, the biblical picture, the portraits of Jesus we have in the Gospels, and the church's long experience and my own experiences with Christ are what makes the idea of God um, even credible to me at all. And I might have a chance to say more about that later. So, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and I think um, the whole, that sometimes who Jesus is gets really shortchanged because there's one aspect of, of Christ with us um, that's often put under the title salvation that gets a very narrow definition of what it means that that Christ is God with us. And people maybe point to one particular time uh, where they, in some traditions, they would say born again. Um, and then that's that's the entry into this relationship with God. And, and that's maybe it with uh, how we're going to continue our journey or not with Jesus. And, and in fact, I think that is one of the the hesitations within our movement to talk about Jesus is the fear of sounding like, you know, other denominations who um, make Jesus all and only about um, his, his blood on the cross is what brings us salvation or his, his death. He died for us and our mm -hmm. sins. And though that's, you know, a valid expression of who Jesus is, um, Sometimes that's all that he can be, and I think there's a real hesitance within within our movement, as I said, to to talk about Jesus because we don't want to minimize that who Jesus is, but we also don't know how else to talk about Jesus. Um, so I think the even the idea of God with us, God's redeeming. Um, God's desire for salvation that you can see way back in the in the very beginnings, uh, the oldest stories in the Old Testament. Um, you know, yes, that comes through part of who Jesus is as God for us, but there's more there as well. Interestingly, that that perspective on Jesus Charmaine's talking about, which is kind of the default setting in American religious culture, turns out to be. Uh, against its own claim, not all that biblical. It's it's a single little slice out of the New Testament. The this is the the Jesus of the born again experience. Um, you know, in the name of Jesus, you'll be saved and you'll be okay. You'll have eternal fire insurance and uh, and it's and that's it. And you know, this but actually the New Testament is profoundly rich with different meanings. Are related to who Jesus is and what Jesus brings, and so um, that that tradition that claims to be biblical is biblical only in the very narrowest possible sense. There's there's so much more that needs to be said about who Jesus is, and so many other ways to experience Him. Yeah, and I and I think another thing that happens within the community of Christ and RLDS history was that we had kind of minimized Jesus to just uh, a functionary, somebody who just came and did something so that things could move along. 
And in our history, we tended to just talk about Jesus as coming to establish the um, And though he was very present in the sacraments, um, I think primarily because we borrowed our sacraments from other Christian movements that were before us, um, with, we didn't have a lot of ways of talking about him in our own in our own short history, um, when we basically um, saw him as have, being the one who came to establish the ch- church, put the church back on earth. Mm-hmm. So we have we have a um, a deficit there as well. Mm-hmm. And that and that deficit is something Community of Christ theology has been working on for about the past fifty or sixty years. And so I would say our our Christology uh, has become ever more broad and full and has a lot has a lot more uh, points of contact, a lot more to offer than it would have had 50 or 60 years ago. In fact, we would recommend for people to take a look, um, and I don't know, Carla, if you can maybe make a link to this, but the We Proclaim Jesus Christ, uh, it's a statement that's in a sharing community of Christ, and it's a, a, a work of a committee that was probably 2000 and this was 2006 I think six, this one came out. that this came out but it's um, it'll help you see where we've been trying to go as far as talking about um, the church's understanding of who Jesus is and what it can mean for us so please take a look at that I think it'll be a, a rich resource for you you know, I really appreciate um, those these things that you have been talking about because in so many circumstances, I hear about, oh, I really hate the term fire insurance and how Jesus, you only have to say you love Jesus once and you're not going to burn in hell or, or whatever. And I, I appreciate that you talk about that's just a narrow way of looking at Jesus and thinking about Jesus. And um, because it's so easy to fall into that trap. I think, because it is pervasive in the United States, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. And um, before we go into the idea of Jesus as example, I started a little exercise this morning just before we started talking, was to start to go back through some of the New Testament books and to see some of the names for Jesus. And I think just hearing some of these helps us realize how much we lose if we only see Jesus as one thing, you know, whether it's the one who somehow is our passport to heaven or, you know, our ticket through the flames or whatever, (laughs) um, or just the one who just established the church. I think either way we're missing a lot. So I'm going to just read a few of these and Tony can jump in too. Um, so if we were to start looking with Paul, who is the earliest of the writers of books that we have in the New Testament, um, some of the, the terms he uses, son of God, giver of grace, um, talks about how we have righteousness with God. We have right relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Son of man, life-giving spirit, peace with God. Wisdom of God, Reconciler, Redeemer, the weakness of God and the power of God. I love that one. Um, as slave and servant, 
as a spiritual rock, as first fruits of those who have died, the new Adam. So that's just some of the, the terms that Paul is trying to <clears throat> help people understand Jesus with. Um, and it's, there, there's so many potential meanings there and uh, dimensions of who Jesus is that are revealed. And, and for Paul, many of these terms are connected to uh, a cosmic vision of salvation he has. Mm -hmm. Paul's vision of salvation is not about the individual <laughs> you know, getting out of here. Uh, Paul's vision of salvation is about a whole transformed creation. And so there's that larger cosmic dimension to many of these terms. And, yeah, you could hear some of that in those terms. And then in the Gospels, we're going to actually break it down to the synoptics, which would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John, because John gets really carried away with titles <laughs> for everything. But, but I'll give you some of the ones from the synoptics, and then Tony will give you some of the ones from John. So the Gospels also have... Son of Man, Son of David, Lord, Christ, Messiah, Emmanuel, as we talked about earlier, that comes from Matthew, God with us, that's what it means. Um, also in, um, in, the, in all of these, there's God naming uh, Jesus in the baptism, my son, the beloved, um, son of God, prophet, teacher, rabbi, master, son of the living God. Um, anointed one? Is anointed mm -hmm. one in there? Yeah, that that's, be... that's what Christ or Christos mm -hmm. or uh, Messiah means, yeah. Holy one of God, bringer of the kingdom of God. So those are those are just some of the ones. And then from John. Oh, yeah, John, John is very rich with titles. So. Starting right off, Jesus is the Word of God, uh, the Logos, the, the 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 rational principle that pervades everything in the universe, and the and then connected to that, He is the Creator, that is the one or one through whom, uh, in John's Gospel, God has created the world. Um, in John's Gospel, He is the only begotten, uh, the only begotten Son, and the Greek term there, monogenes. Uh, is better translated uh, one of a kind. He's he's unique. But also there's a, early in John's gospel, there's a text which refers to Jesus as the only begotten God. Further, he's the Lamb of God. He's referred to as the King of Israel in John 1. He's the good shepherd. He's the living bread, the vine, the light of world. He's bread from heaven. And then there's this whole series of sayings where Jesus says, I am, which is a kind of a uh, echoing back to the Exodus story in the Hebrew Bible. He's the gate for the sheep. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and he is, uh, again, creator. Um, so these these titles, and, and this is not even the whole New Testament, right? These titles are not, they're not doctrines. They're experiences. They're connected to experiences. And one of the things that I was noticing is when I was writing these down is that I think with all of them, they are all titles that have to do with relationship, descriptive of some kind of a relationship that Jesus that Christ has. Some of them are about the relationship between Jesus and God or as God. Others are about the relationship to creation and still others and this is the more, the most of them 
has a relationship to, to us, to the first disciples and then through extension to us. And so we begin to think about Jesus as being, um, you know, not this one, one person in this one time or this one person or even God who did something one time, but this ongoing relationship. And that, that was the intent. That's what even the earliest Christians understood as Jesus' purpose, uh, Jesus' goal in being present. So, um, the, you know, the idea that it just gives us so many more possibilities of ways of understanding and valuing and, and actually incorporating Jesus into our daily devotions, our worship, um, is to recognize that this is that part of God that is eternally wanting to be in relationship with us. I think um, Jesus reveals the uh, profound relationality of God, and that's really important in our in our age and time when um, God seems remote or um, non credible to people. Um, another thing too is if you think about these these different titles we've been going through, um, there's a very deep human dimension to most of them, and that is that. They all speak to things that we yearn for. Mm. That is that, you know, and when um, in John's gospel, when uh, Jesus is, is called the, you know, I am the vine. You know, when he, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Think about what that refers to in human experience. We long to be connected with something that's living, alive, organic, uh, something that gives us life. Um, and these these deep things we long for are easily uh, covered over by all the shallow things we long for <laughs> in, in our in our consumer culture when we're we're sold products by the second and you can no longer even go online without being sold products I mean the human worth is connected to what you can buy but that that's a that's a sham because it, it keeps us from seeing the deepest things we long for and these these titles the New Testament gives to Jesus, can remind us of of our of our yearnings, what our where where our hearts and souls are truly empty. And Jesus Jesus then becomes the, the connecting point for those. Cool. That makes so much sense to me. I you know, when you talk about Jesus being fully human and fully divine, like that doesn't make a ton of sense, right? Like as a math major, you can't be a hundred percent of something and a hundred percent of something else. And <laughs> I mean, in my brain and my logical brain, it just doesn't work, but it, it does work as the connection. I really appreciate that metaphor about Jesus. I am the vine and the connection between the thing that gives us nourishment and gives us life. And then where we are as the grapes, I guess we're the grapes. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. We, we're, we're we're branches that are supposed to bear fruit. So yeah. We can be grapes. We can be grapes. I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's quite a resume that Jesus has built up with all of these different names, and 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 yes, these relationships, and uh, I mean, all these names that have to do with relationships, because you know, earlier, Charmaine, you were talking about how Jesus is still with us, and and we can draw strength from Jesus, and. And sometimes I just have a hard time with that, thinking about what that looks like 
and how I can actually live that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes I think it has less to do with our choosing it and our, and more to do with our being aware of Jesus with us. And the, the reality for me of Jesus with us really took shape and began to stir my imagination um, at a camp I was at. It might have been my last year of junior high or first year of senior high, I think. But, even, you know, back then I was even more so than I am now, but very, um, I could only take people for so long. <laughs> and then I needed to get away and have some alone time. And something of uh, what you were, t- you and Tony were talking about as far as that longing that we have for God, for me, that could surface when I was at camp. And that reality um, that God was there, that God loved me, um, that was the place where that was strong. And I, and I just needed time to take that in and away from people. And so there's times I would skip meals and I would go to out into the woods to one of the campfire sites just to have some time alone. And in one of these times, um, I remember looking out over the lake and and that, that longing being so strong within me, but at the same time becoming slowly aware of presence with me with the um, sense of of Christ being there with me in a almost tangible way um, touching me and you know though that's something that I probably wouldn't have told a lot of people of at that time because it's like well you know how do you know how can you prove that you know what does that mean you know um, that has become a very grounding thing for me in the awareness that God wants to be with us and that God in Christ often is, but that we are not taking the time or know how to, to name or sense the presence that is Christ with us. So, you know, I think part of it is is that attuning to what does it feel like? How does it affect us when Christ's presence or Christ's peace or Christ's love is there with us as, as God with us? Hmm. That, that reminds me of the uh, important saying of the uh, French mathematician. You know Pascal, Carla? <laughs> oh, do I. <laughs> this French, this 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 French Catholic uh, mathematician and philosopher, Blaise Pascal. Uh, oh, what is it? This is like 17th century, so 1600s, I think. And Pascal, uh, as as a philosopher, was also a devout Christian. And he one of his sayings was, um, "The heart has its reasons, of which reason is scarcely aware." That is, our, our, our rationality touches on many things, but there's some things our rationality is not well suited for and that our heart, our soul, our deepest self is more suited for. And so I'm listening to Charmaine talk about that experience. And I immediately think of, of Pascal and that, that there, 
there is a profound rationality in that experience that is not uh, two plus two equals four rationality. And and for me, I have to say, um, where, where Jesus first became extremely real to me was actually in one of those altar call experiences. And I, I will I will give the short version of the story, which has an embarrassing element in it in a way. I when I was a freshman in college and was going into seeking mode, I I once started going to a Baptist church in the evenings on Sunday just to their services, but I had an ulterior motive. A former girlfriend that was her church. So I was, <laughs> I was Ah and the truth was, comes out. <laughs> I was basically cruising the church for her. <laughs> but one one particular night, uh the, the service really captured me and they actually did an altar call at the end. And I remember very distinctly this experience of, of simply needing to respond to that. And, um, when I got home that night, I'm 18 years old. I looked different to myself. Something had changed in me. I didn't stay in that church much to their sugar because they immediately wanted to wrap that experience in the, the fundamentalist ideology of, inerrancy and absolutism and, and authoritarianism. And I just, as an 18-year-old um, who was also uh, scientifically minded, I just, I, just couldn't, I just couldn't buy the wrappings they wanted to, to put around that. But it got me started, and, and it wasn't long after that that I found my way to what is now Community of Christ. But that experience has stayed with me all these years. Um, Christ became real for me, but that realness has has filled out in lots of different ways um, over the years through theological study and through um, uh, listening to others' experiences, through reading, through devotion, through prayer, and through uh, a bunch of years of ministry and service. Um, Jesus broader and richer uh, to me as the as the years go on. You know, um, actually that. I, I've never gone through an altar call experience or anything like that, but um, one thing that really draws me to Jesus as God with us is looking at Jesus's humanity and recognizing that things that Jesus felt, I feel sometimes, and it's okay to feel those things. You know, who, which one of us has not felt like a righteous anger at something that has been, has happened in the world or happened to people that we love. You know, when Jesus yep. goes in the temple and throws a table, who, who, which one of us has not wanted to throw a table? I've, <laughs> I mean, I think it'd be fun personally, but you know, like the very idea that you, that Jesus went through these things as well. And just because Jesus was fully divine and fully human didn't, doesn't mean he didn't feel these things. And so I can relate to Jesus on a really personal level in those emotions that he showed in, in the synoptics and the stories in the synoptics. Absolutely. And that really takes us into the whole idea of Jesus as example, both, you know, knowing that God knows what our feelings are as human beings, what our experiences are like as human beings and, and identifies with us and that we can identify then with Christ and, um, Jesus as an example is particularly big in the in the synoptics in Mark, Matthew, and Luke, um, and Luke in particular. That's one of his main themes. But there's, in fact, as these 
gospel writers are writing, they're writing for a group of people that they know are trying to figure out how do we live this new way of being as Christ followers um, in a world where this is a new thing. How do we even do this? And so the, those three gospel writers are very intentional about um, portraying a person that we would like to be like, that we would like to um, exemplify in some ways. And so there's all these ways that Jesus is an example for us. Um, you know, whether it is in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, um, Jesus suffers there, and it's Jesus' suffering that is um, is the sign of who Jesus is. And this was written to a group of people who were suffering, and they needed to know that 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 Christ had walked that way before them, and that their suffering too was a way, uh, not that it was a sign that they had fallen away from God, but that their suffering uh, was a sign that they were they were following Jesus in the right way. So, um, not that we should seek out suffering, but it was a way to to help them be reassured that um, that they were on the right path, that Jesus too had suffered. And then, for example, in, in Matthew, um, the the community that that gospel was written for was a, a community primarily of Christians whose heritage was Jewish. So we would call them Jewish Christians. And one of the things that you can tell behind the scenes that's going on in that gospel is that that community is experiencing uh, internal turmoil as non-Jews want a piece of this Jesus action with them. <laughs> so uh, in that gospel, Jesus includes. And so imitating Jesus uh, in, in Matthew's gospel is uh, the struggle of learning to include those who are not like us. I sometimes, this is, a, this is a 1960s movie reference, I sometimes call it the guess who's coming to dinner gospel. <laughs> <laughs> That's an old Sidney Poitier movie from I think the early 60s in, in which an African-American and, and uh, 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 an Anglo uh, have a loving relationship. Um, very kind of avant-garde at that time period. But get, you know, you can sort of get the picture, guess who's coming to dinner. Um, so, and, and that's another one of those example things is if we are to follow Jesus, then we reach out to offer hope and healing to those that Jesus reached out to. And often those were the, those in the, the lower parts of the society or those who were considered traitors or um, those who were invisible. And so there's another place where what it means to follow Jesus is to to touch and to include and to bring hope and healing to those uh, whose society has already made judgment on, has already tossed away. So that Charmaine mentioned already the Gospel of Luke really is the the uh, gospel par excellence of Jesus's example. Um, this author's a you know. A, Hellen, a Hellenistic person who understands very clearly the importance of a model for readers. And so uh, more than any other gospel, Luke's gospel focuses on Jesus at prayer. And so Jesus becomes a model of praying. Jesus becomes, as in Matthew's, a model of inclusion, 
but especially in Luke's gospel, a model of inclusion of women fully into the circle of disciples. Um, in, in Luke's gospel, the disciples, uh, in a particular moment, want, want God to firebomb a Samaritan village. And Jesus is like, seriously? <laughs> so, so Jesus becomes a model of acceptance of those who are different and of others. Or the enemy. Uh, yeah. And, and then um, G- Jesus' death on the cross is portrayed a bit differently in Luke's gospel, where instead of, as in Mark and Matthew, my God, why have you forsaken me? In, in Luke's gospel, Jesus' dying words are, our Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So Jesus becomes a model of forgiveness towards your persecutors and enemies, and in his case, your, your murderers. Um, so this this exemplary uh, theme in the first three Gospels is really important. Um, also, I think it's important to say that in the ancient world, when when someone chose to write a biography, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a lot, and John, to a lesser extent, fall in the genre of ancient biographies. When you chose to write in this biography, in the biography genre, one of the things implicitly knew about reading that genre was that they were going to be reading a story about why you should either imitate this person or not imitate this person. So the very nature of the narratives um, told the readers, uh, this is somebody you really want to learn how to, to be like and follow. And so that's, that's why the term disciple, which is used a lot, for example, in Matthew, disciple means learner, um, to learn what Jesus does and says, and, and to learn to be loved. So then the, our third category was Jesus as bringer of peace and equality. And there's some overlap with the things we've just been saying, but particularly in the Synoptic Gospels, the primary goal of Jesus, the, um, the symbol of who he is and what he is putting into play in the world is the idea of the kingdom of God. Jesus as the one who brings what God hopes for all creation, um, that he brings that beginning step, those glimpses of to the world. And this is somewhat evident in his teaching, but definitely in his healing, uh, in his challenging of people, especially people of mm-hmm. power, to see things in a different way, to not let possession or status be um, what matters, but to to let who they are in God be what matters. So the whole idea of Jesus as the sign of the kingdom of God, he inherently then is bringing to individuals, yes, but the idea is the creation. He brings peace. And then to communities, he is the symbol, the example, but also the bringer of equality, which was a real struggle, as we can tell in Paul's letters to the first churches, um, that equality was not uh, going to be an easy one <laughs> to overcome in a very stratified, um, gender-sensitive culture that had very concrete places where people fit 
And if you didn't fit, you were, uh, you know, causing trouble within families, within society. So, um, yeah, this Jesus was a disturber. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, he, because he's disturbing things, he's also bringing it in a different kind of peace. The, the term kingdom of God, I, I think, uh, is really, it's really important to not misunderstand it. Um, so often, the default setting for kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, uh, kingdom of heaven, by the way, is Matthew's way of saying the same thing. The default setting is to see these as the afterlife. And it's so far from what's meant in most places that's used in the Gospels that um, people were talking about something from a totally different set of books. So the term kingdom in English is not a very good way to render the Greek term basileia, which is more active. It means reign, the reign of God, God's activity of reigning. So when Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand, what he's saying really is, God's reign has begun. Watch me. <laughs> it's, it's happening right here in front of you. Um, and so in what Jesus does and says and how he lives and how he acts, that's what God God's reign looks like. Um, it's a reign. God's way of reigning is to embrace the leper and the poor and those who are, are suffering and sick and dying. Um, God's way of reigning is to make space for children. God's way of reigning is to challenge or correct the powerful and the wealthy, which Jesus does. Um, God's way of reigning is to make space for the outsider and the enemy. And uh, by turning by turning Jesus' statements of, about the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven into the afterlife, what Christianity has successfully done then is evaded all responsibility for being the presence of God's kingdom here now. And so in, instead of instead of continuing Jesus' revolution, <laughs> which is God God's intended revolution, it's a nonviolent peaceful revolution, but in, instead of doing that, we've Christians, um, you know, instinctively through the centuries have supported the status quo, have supported injustice as usual. Um, at the same time, they were trying to worship and follow Jesus. And, uh, you know, we're human. We, we mess up. The church the church messes up. Um, and, and Christ still abides with us, like he did with his disciples who messed up all the time. Really, if we want to... We want to to capture this sense of Jesus as bringer of peace and equality, going back to the kingdom of God sayings and Jesus' own activity gives us a real clue for what that what that means. You know, by by our front door, we have a plaque. It's a small little plaque that has a, a little statement from the rule of St. Benedict. And this is very important in Benedictine monasticism. The, the uh, plaque says, all guests who present themselves are to be received as Christ. Um, Benedictine monasticism tried to take that kingdom of God ethic really, really seriously and how they treated visitors and strangers and the kind of hospitality they offered. Imagine what it would be like if Christian churches took that seriously. All guests who presented the, pre present themselves, whether to the church, whether at the border, whether in our communities, in our, in our homes, um, 
are to be received as Christ, what kind what kind of world would the church then stand for if that were the case? Uh, a different kind of world than the one that's currently being made. And a different meaning to the term salvation, that salvation there is for all, for the whole of creation, and not just for me getting mine <laughs> in the afterlife. And I thought of one experience um, where this idea of Jesus as bringer of peace um, has impacted me. And I have lots of siblings, and um, as often happens when you have siblings, there are uh, long-term relationships that can cause anxiety and anger and frustration and hurt. And this was a number of years ago. Um, I was very upset um, with my discussion with a couple of my siblings, and I went off to a place where I could sit and yell at God, and I uh, was praying, you know, God, why is this so hard? Why do they always pick on me? Um, you know, why do they hurt me? They should, and I was thinking, you know, they should be kind to me. They should be the people I can share my deepest feelings with. And it just, that I needed to die some of my expectations of others and that part of what was causing me so much pain and anxiety was that I was letting these shoulds about my siblings should you know be my confidants and these place safe people I I was measuring my siblings against what I thought they should be and I just really strongly sensed this idea that Christ calls us to die to our our status or um, or images that we may want to have of ourselves. I needed to die to some of my expectations of what others should be to me, and it just brought such peace to me to to realize that um, my expect I was using my expectations, my unreasonable expectations in such a way that it created um, judgment of them, created um, these feelings of injustice towards myself. And it was just a a real gift to be able to see that um, did not have to let those expectations um, of what I thought they should be determine who they were, what their worth was, and what what they owed me and what my worth was then. I had a similar kind of experience a number of years ago. There was this particular fall when one of my disciplines was uh, to go for a walk in the morning and work through the, the phrases of the Lord's Prayer. It was this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And... Uh, I will tell you now, this was two days after September 11th. And, of course, everybody was, was in shock. And I, I went for this walk, and I'm praying the Lord's Prayer. And all of a sudden, I get for, forgive us our forgive those who trespass against us. And I had to just stop. I, it, 
it completely arrested me. And I wanted to say, no, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. Um, I was, I, I found myself unable to go there with the prayer. But notice that the, the prayer, uh, Jesus' prayer, flushed out of me my own hatred and enmity. Uh, forgive us our trespasses, those who trespass against us. It was a really powerful moment um, in which I saw more clearly the kind of social, political, and deeply spiritual implications of that prayer. Je Jesus continues to call us through his words, his actions, through the stories in the gospel, and through of Christian communities that are really um, committed to living that part of his message. Sometimes it's really embarrassing to talk about Jesus because you don't want to be labeled as, quote unquote, the Jesus freak in the room or the one who calls upon Jesus all the time. And and both of these are everything that you've said today. It is not an embarrassing way to talk about Jesus. Is it like it's it's straight from the Gospels, um, all of the names that you had for Jesus, all of these, um, the Lord's Prayer and talking about um, unrealistic expectations. These are not embarrassing ways to talk about Jesus. These are genuine, intentional, and real ways to talk about Christ. And so why don't we talk about Christ more like this rather than the other way? What stops us from doing it in this way? I think probably the only thing that stops us is our self-consciousness and our unsure, our unsureness of whether or not it will be heard and accepted. But as you've said, I think we need not worry about that. I think the, the realness and the sincerity of, of our experience is enough. And, and if we can keep reminding ourselves that as followers of Christ, that means we're following someone. That someone is is with us, before us, beside us, um, and that to talk about Jesus in that way makes it very relevant to our daily lives, rather than uh, talking about about a Jesus who is only about um, giving us this this passport to heaven, this ticket. So I think I think the to recognize that talking about Jesus as if it's normal us or us to be with him um, may be the easiest way to start being able to share those, recognize them in our lives. Yeah, and I think it's really important. Um, I, I guess I'll say it this way, not not to give the Jesus field yeah. <laughs> Uh, types of types of religion and, and Christian piety that that often seem to miss the mark, that have reduced it to a formula that you have to say and to an experience you have to have, which seems so far from the multivalent, multi-meaning, rich experience both of the New Testament and of the Christian tradition. We we don't want to we don't want to stop talking about Jesus because that that then lets the other setting truly be the default setting. So we 
we really need to claim that and there say that look there there are so many other ways to be faithful to Jesus and what what he stands for so another experience along those lines is I, I think back to when I was preparing for my doctoral exams um, which would advance me to candidacy in the degree and one of my exams was going to be in Christology <clears throat> and one of the texts I was reading in preparation for that exam was a book by the, the famous German theologian Jürgen Moltmann. And the, t- the book was titled The Crucified God and Moltmann had been a German soldier in World War II. He, he re- later wrote an autobiography in which he talks about how Christ became um, real and, and saving and healing for him uh, in his experiences as a prisoner of war when he realized as a German soldier what he'd actually been fighting for, um, kind of the horror of the, of the camps and so on. But in Crucified God, he's trying to process... Um, the death of Jesus as God the Son and what that means about human suffering. And it was a profound moment in what was otherwise an intellectual experience, but a profound moment in reading this theologian wrestling with the idea of God the Father giving up and losing God the Son, like a, a, a rift, a rent in the very being of God in which for Moltmann, having lived through the horror of World War II, he, he found in that the space for redemption, that the worst, the worst, vilest things human beings can do are known, and that human beings who do them can still find redemption and, and place in God's heart through that experience of God's own uh, loss and separation. Very, very powerful moment for me in, in my studies and I have always remembered that um, and it's a place it's a pl- it's a, it's a reason that that Jesus still gives me hope um, hope that God hope in a God who is present with us in suffering and who can help us make meaning out of it and make a different kind of future out of it so uh, I do not want to concede I do not want to concede the Jesus story to to narrow narrow theological interests or those who uh, want to nationalize it into an American myth of some kind. It's, that's, that would be a, a tragedy. So one of the things I would encourage people to do is to, if you're interested in seriously pursuing a relationship with Jesus or Christ or however you're wanting to to understand him is to take a look through some of those names and see if there's one that really strikes your heart your soul as um, as an aspect of Jesus you would like to go deeper into and take that image or that name or that title and let it be your avenue of prayer. Let it be how you how you start a prayer or start a journal entry or simply take time in imagination of what does that mean about who Jesus wants to be in my life, with me, uh, with me and my struggles, 
or with me in my longings. So take a look at the richness of the aspects of Christ and spend some time with just that one and note what it, what it opens in you and what it alerts you to as far as what God is doing and wanting to do in your life. So that would be a way of letting this not be just our experiences or our head stuff, you know, information, but to to make room for a, a kind of a natural, organic way for you to do this in your own life, to, to give Jesus room in the realities of who you are in your daily life. I think, too, of uh, a, a discipline, I guess I'll call it, practicing the presence of Jesus. And it would be kind of like Alexio Divina, which is to take a gospel story, um, one that attracts you or captures your attention, and focus on who who Jesus is depicted as in that story, and where does it connect to your life right now? Um, these these stories these stories can be read, uh, but they can also be practiced. And that's a different way of reading them. It's to enter into the story in a different sort of way, um, and see where see where you are in that particular story. Um, I, it can be surprising, actually. Cool. Well, thank you, Carla, for giving us this opportunity to explore some of the dimensions of who Jesus is, uh, what it means to to see Jesus as God, as God with us to see Jesus as one who's trying to be an example, give us some ways of living our lives more more honestly and authentically, and Jesus as one who brings something we can't um, sometimes bring ourselves to bring peace and helps us see our need for equality and, um, and openness to each other. So thank you. No, yeah. thank you. I, I hope that the listeners um, have I've thought through this and had maybe some questions for us. So we're definitely open to some questions, listeners. And Tony, I cut you off. What were you going to say? I was just going to say the same thing. I was going to say we're, we're definitely open to doing a, <laughs> a round two to use. I guess that's kind of a violent image, but <laughs> well, we'll take it. Well, well, we're happy to do a you know, another session on Jesus, depending on questions and comments people so want to pursue. So much to be said. So Absolutely. much to be said and, and explored. Well, thank you so much for talking with us, and thank you for talking about uh, such a huge topic. Oh, thank you for being willing to follow us and guide us along the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Carla, and we really enjoy being able to do these with you. The views expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official views of the Latter-day Seekers team or of Community of Christ. The music has been provided by Ben Howington. You can find his music at mormonguitar.com. I was preparing for my, my doctoral exams, and don't let me go on too long about this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep you. We'll, we'll shorten you up.